If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. He's got it! Touchdown, Jack Doyle! And he's going to be brought down inside the 15, and it's going to go to DeForest Buckner. Huge hole! He's at the 30! He's going to go! 10-5! Touchdown, Jonathan Taylor! From the Power Home Solar Studio, let's get the podcast started. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Colts official podcast. My name is Jeffrey Gorman. We are presented to you by our friends at WinBet, the official sports book of your Indianapolis Colts. Uh, J.J. Stankovitz always here. Lara Overton, happier than a pig in slop that you are here, because I know you're still <laughs> feisty. You had to sit through a weekend of watching wildcard playoff games without your Colts in it, so I know you're salty. we got a great show, by the way, coming up. We're going to dance around a few of the uh, off-season things that happened with each franchise, specifically ours here in Indianapolis, but the great Jeff Saturday, him of Ring of Honor fame, and of course on ESPN covering the of the NFL. He will join us soon enough. But Lara, how have you been this past weekend? I know you're still salty. I know Tugboat, <laughs> your, your your trusted uh, friend Tugboat, the all 200-pound big bull mastiff, he's been comforting you. How have you been this past weekend? Well, I was good. I went back to Louisville, spent some time with the family, and then got home on Saturday, back to Indian time for you know all of the Saturday slate of games. And I, as I, you know, Tucker, I think is already ready for me to come back to work on the weekends because we were talking about our plans for Sunday, and I was like, I'm going to be right here on this couch watching every <laughs> single one of these games. He's like, that's fully what I expected. I was like, I'm going to Ale Emporium. I'm getting the Hermanaki wings. Like this is where I will be. Maybe you can find me with a couple of, of beverages and what. So we're like, nah, I'm going to say midway through the second game on Sunday. And I mean, guys, I am like expletive laden conversation left and right. Shocker. And he, right, right, exactly. And he looks over at me and he goes, is your pirate ship parked out front or what? Like, because I was just, I mean, just um, all over the place. I mean, everything you could think of. I mean, just left and right. So it's not going well, guys. It's really not going well. I frightened my husband. I frightened the dog. I ate way too many Hermanakis. I'm so that's that's where I am. But you know what? That's JJ? I'm accepting it right now. That's where we are. You know. So I, who knows? I don't. I may not make it to championship weekend, y'all. The way oh, things are going don't right say now. That. We need you, Lo. JJ, have you been staying afloat, JJ Stankovitz? Yeah, I have been, Jeffrey, and I've realized over the course of the last couple of months, the eastern time zone in which we live, it's awful. I don't sleep (laughs) at all. Like, I I stayed up for, you know, the the end of the Bills-Patriots game on Saturday because I was just so... It, like I, I, I love a good competitive yeah, game. Yeah, why? Like, back and like forth. why? You could have gone to sleep. You know on what that I one, love, my friend. You know they, what I love? Apparently, Lara, apparently like, the Patriots went to sleep, so you could have it, as well. You know, True. you know what I love, Lara, is a good beat 'em down type game <laughs> where you're just like, oh man, they are they are getting it. The Bills. I I wanted to watch that whole freaking game to see them essentially throw like a perfect game. Um, and then the next morning at seven o'clock, there are my kids I got, 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 got in bed. Like, you know, they're right. awake mm-hmm. and they didn't realize that daddy was up until midnight watching football. Like, <laughs> so I, I just don't sleep during the playoffs. Even like I couldn't even I, I turned off the Steelers Chiefs game with like yeah. five minutes to go in the game. Like, what is wrong with me? That was the game I should have turned off. Like, the, just like a 
like that game wasn't you know whatever no you, you got to strategize go accordingly you got to strategize right. accordingly bad. i i did a peloton i did a peloton ride during the second half of the eagles bucks because i was like ah <laughs> all right i'm just going to so i had the had the game set up on the laptop just in case there was anything i wanted to check in on but then i was like on the bike so that was that was how i strategized here's, that's what you got to do here's the thing we all should live in mountain time like indianapolis should be relocated in time like there should be like a little strip coming across Colorado to Kansas through Missouri into Illinois into Indiana and then bubbling around Indianapolis so we are on mountain time because that is the right best time zone senator. to watch yeah. sports yes <laughs> right your senator JJ do you you've forgotten a, a I don't know where you learned this in Chicago but it's always football first then family well Correct. I mean you know when it's your job you got to pick between the two um, I love it man no great football I, I agree with you guys some beatdowns but obviously this division round is coming up we're going to bounce around the NFL playoffs coming up with Jeff Saturday he of ESPN fame obviously since he tend to see we're all uh, you know curious on that matchup San Francisco Green Bay the Rams at Tampa Bay and Buffalo at the Chiefs we still doing so Tampa got, Bay Jeffrey we still doing I, I Tampa did. Bay I, I just I just kind of <laughs> threw it at him the guys well, I mean, they also call say, it Champa Bay now because of the Champ champions Bay. that there have been. They just have all sorts of obnoxious monikers that they can play yeah, off of down Tom there. And Tom Brady on top of everything. And Tom Brady. So yeah, we will surf around the NFL playoffs. But guys, a little bit closer to home, uh, if you're opening up your internet or reading on the Twitter or the Instagram or the ESPN.com or Yahoo or whatever it is, you'll see some Colts news. Not so much player Colts news, but uh, owner, for instance. Let's let's go over that before we talk about some off-season stuff going on within the coaching ranks. Your first thought when you saw Jim Ursay's video the other night, it looked like he was in Arizona in front of his airplane. Mm-hmm. He's talking about, hey, we are going to be held accountable. We are going to do everything in our you know waking hours of the offseason to get back to the championship level that Jim Ursay and family demands. What did you guys make of Mr. Ursay's video when you saw it? Well, I think one of the reasons that Mr. Ursay has established himself as one of the most beloved owners in this sport, certainly by fans and also within his locker room and within his coaching staff and his front office, is his passion. And he is so vocal and he is, you know, so candid with expressing how much he loves this team and how much he wants to see success for this team and for this community in general. So I think that you want to see that it's that level of consistency, you know, those highs of highs where he sees him celebrating with his team. I think that was after the San Francisco game when he's leading the We Will Rock You chant. Like, you also want to see what's his level of, of fieriness when you have the opposite outcome, when you do have things not finish out the season the way that you want. I thought that that was just, it was so awesome to see that the owner is that willing to bring people in to his very candid, um, you know, emotions and, you know, his candid uh, command, I would say, of the expectation of what there is moving forward. So I I loved it. I think that across the NFL, people have loved um, one of the things from Hard Knocks is getting 
to see a different side even of Mr. Ursay and, you know, what he shares on social media and all of those things. So I, I loved hearing it just so clearly from him um, in terms of where the expectation is, because we knew that there was that lengthy closed door meeting Sunday night uh, here at West 56th Street between Mr. Ursay and Chris and Frank about the close of the season. And everyone was curious, you know, everyone wanted to peek into what that conversation right. was. And I think that that was the best way to do it was to have the owner come out and say and just very clearly lay out what the expectations are moving forward and what the expectations are of every single person who walks into this building to start building a new going into the 2022 regular season. Every person, JJ, Lara and I have been around here a minute, so I think Mr. Ursay may have been speaking directly to you, Stankovic. Oh, no. Hey, Jeffrey, listen. I... you. <laughs> I, I am not in a place where I can yet joke about that. I got laid off nearly <laughs> one year ago to the day. Wow. January 21st, I got laid off by my old job at NBC Sports Chicago because NBC likes laying people off. Um, and all right. All right. I, I, bad, I can't, I can't joke me. about bad it. Bad joke by me. Yeah, can't joke, joke about it me. yet. But you know what, Jeffrey? I, I, I really like about that. That video came out, what, four or five days after the season ended? Right. And you can tell this isn't. This isn't performative. This isn't doing it to appease anyone but the organization and their goal of winning. Like it, 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 it was so, it was so direct and forceful. Um, and the other impression I got, Jeffrey, is that Mr. S.A. is on the tarmac in, you know, he said it was Phoenix or whatever, wherever it was. I kind of got the impression he was like, "Why am I here? Why am I not right. getting ready to go?" to Kansas City Kansas or City, Cincinnati right, right. or, uh, you know, Buffalo, like like we all were thinking. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times I was sitting there this weekend watching those games and thinking, I can't believe the Colts aren't in this. For sure, for sure. Same here. Lara Overton, J.J. Stankovitz. I'm Jeffrey Gorman. This is the Colts official podcast. Jeff Saturday will join us momentarily coming up. Offseason, there are going to be a lot of new names, a lot of new faces. It's the NFL after all. But the coaching ranks we don't talk pretty much, uh, you know, primarily of, a lot of, is the coaching ranks. But this is the time of year that people move and shake on different staffs. And in our very own camp here, Ed Dodds, assistant general manager, Matt Eberflus, to name a few, are getting some looks for other teams. Guys, get us up to date on the coaching staff of the Colts and what other franchises are knocking on their door. So let me let me give you the the rundown here. So the Chicago Bears, uh, by the time most people listen to this podcast, I believe they'll have conducted interviews with all three: Matt Eberflus for their head coaching position, Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown for their GM position. Dodds and Flus interviewed on Monday. I believe Morocco Brown is interviewing on Tuesday. There's also a report out there that the Las Vegas Raiders are going to put in a slip for Ed Dodds to interview him for their GM job. Ed Dodds goes back to the days, uh, the Al Davis era in Oakland with that organization. Um, You know, something to keep an eye on there. Matt Eberflus has also had an interview with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, So, you know, there there is interest in what the Colts are doing. And it's funny, guys. I I feel like I've been, like, the prettiest girl at the dance this week because, like, every single connection I've had in Chicago has reached out to me, like, Come on the radio. Come on the podcast. <laughs> like, I've been all over the Chicago airwaves this week, and I'm just like, oh, this is this is kind of nice. You know, I get to kind of <laughs> go back home a little bit. But, you know, it's because everyone wants to know, what's the deal with that Dodds? What's the deal with Morocco Brown? And I keep telling everyone, like, 
you're not going to find two, two, you know, two candidates who are a whole lot better and who have a whole lot, you know, better backgrounds right. and leadership styles and eyes for talent than Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown. Lara, Mike Groh, Mike Groh, getting some yeah. uh, some looks. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about Mike Groh and who's who's sniffing out to get him in camp. So Mike Groh, wide receivers coach of the Indianapolis Colts and came in a few seasons ago um, at the desire of Frank Reich to be the wide receivers coach because those two had worked together previously in Philadelphia. So uh, Groh came in, gosh, I'm trying to think, this would have been... 19? No, or 20 was his 2020 was his first year's wide receivers coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so two seasons in as wide receivers coach, he is, I will tell you, one of the most likable guys in this building. That is a dynamic wide receiver room and he juggles it all very well. He's been in a room that has endured certainly its share of challenges and he's been one of the guys who really well handled you know, T.Y. coming back off of that neck surgery as he did. Paris Campbell's injury situation He's really one of those who you can credit for the development of a guy like an Ashton Doolin and the impact that he was able to have this year. Also, you look to the impact he had on Desmond Patman. If you go back to that win in Arizona and uh, Des getting that touchdown catch, the way he comes over onto the sideline and hugs, then lifts up. Mike Groh is so telling in terms of the respect that Mike Groh has of his players. Uh, he's fen- He's phenomenal. And one of the things that when you're talking about all of these guys, you know, Dodds and Morocco and Flus, they're all guys who were in the interview cycle last year yep. as well. So they're now going mm-hmm. through this again. And one of the things we know about Dodds is that he was going to wait to get it right. He's been quoted before as saying, you only get one shot at this to be a general manager in most situations. So he was really going to be uh, judicious in selecting which name or which uh, jobs he put his name in the hat for, mm-hmm. how far he went in the interview process, and then deciding where he goes. Morocco is a very strong candidate. I think that those who have watched with the next pick, you see um, the personality that he is. How He is a wordsmith. There is no one I have been around who can describe things like Morocco Brown can. Um, and then Flus too. He interviewed last year, I believe it was the Houston job, right, guys? He yep. was he was up for that head coaching role with the Houston Texans. So he's been familiar with that coaching cycle. And, J.J., one of the things that you and I bantered about is, obviously, when you have guys who are going through at least their second cycle for these types of positions, both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have short lists of people that they would target for those vacancies. So I'm really interested to see, should any of those guys accept those positions, if those positions would be filled internally, how much external evaluation there will be? Because one thing worth noting in regards to Matt Eberflus is he was actually already in the D coordinator position before Frank Reich came on board as the head coach by way of the situation with Josh McDaniels and such. So you know Frank Reich has some names in his desk drawer of people who he would likely examine to put in that position should Flus get a spot at a head coaching job. And man, Flus is deserving. I think he he is is. certainly deserving of, of a head coaching job. He's at that point in his career where he's proven it on a lot of different levels and uh, certainly would be thrilled for him, would miss him immensely because he's an outstanding human being. But I think all three of these guys are deserving of getting that next shot to grow their careers. You know, so I I got asked a lot about Flus when I went on, you know, like ESPN 1000 or the score in Chicago. Like, why would would the Bears or any team in the NFL want to hire a defensive coordinator 
in today's NFL. And the thing that I said, I mean, Flus, from a leadership standpoint, has got, he's a really good leader for the Colts, but something he is is flexible. You know, you look at what the Colts did this year. They started off the season playing a lot of zone. That's what Matt Eberflus's defense has been, playing a lot of zone. And as more and more, uh, you know, games piled up, the Colts started to switch and they played a lot more man. They did some more stuff with match coverages. And Matt Eberflus is not rigid in how he views the game. He is intellectually curious and he is flexible and, and malleable in how he goes about approaching a game plan. I think that makes a really good candidate to be a head coach where you're not walking into a building and saying, this is how we do things. You have to conform to it. It's walking into a building and saying, what do we have and how can I conform to what we have and bring the best out of our players? We've seen that time and time again with the guys Matt Aberflus has on that side of the football. And, you know, you look at some of the, the defensive coaches who have been hired recently like a Mike Vrabel, who, you know, and for my money, should be the coach of the year this year in the NFL. Um, you know, even a guy like Brandon Staley, who had a you know pretty successful season with the Chargers up until obviously missing the playoffs. It, just because you're a defensive guy does not mean that you are stuck in 1980 and, oh, we have to, you know, run the ball in three yards in a cloud of dust. Like, you can have some progressive ideas. You can be a CEO-type head coach and run a really good defense and that wins you a lot of games in the NFL. So I think, you know, like you said, Larry, Matt Eberflus is definitely deserving of these opportunities right now. And now he's up to, I believe it would be three, you know, total over the last two years, head coaching interviews. Guys, speaking of um, assistant coaches, uh, we're probably going to put this topic to bed after this discussion. I mean, not hopefully, but I just don't know that we'll continue talking about hard knocks in this past season with the Colts. A couple of the superstars of that series, in my opinion, was Coach Baker on the defensive line and his family and Bubba Ventrone. I wanted your take on this. I wanted your take on this on Hard Knocks as a whole. It's over now. There's no more cameras in the facility. They're not covering meetings, anything. What did you think of that experiment the first time the Colts had did it, and especially for an NFL team, the first time to do it in season? Wow. I mean, I think it was a big, I know it was a huge task. I mean, from the NFL films perspective, from Colts perspective, from Colts PR perspective, churning and burning those episodes out in the way that they were getting those out so quickly. I think that it was such an interesting insight into the organization and the personalities. And I hate and this is something I just take personally from someone who's lived in Indianapolis for more than a decade, like being regarded as a small market team is something that just like really frosts my cookies, okay? And so I think that this that Larry. this <laughs> that this helped establish, you know, being put on that national stage is something that I think elevated the prominence of the Indianapolis Colts and, you know, gets them I think a greater respect from the rest of whether it's the NFL world or the rest of, you know, just kind of that that fan viewership audience world. So I do think that they elevated themselves from that respect of getting to see more into guys like Darius and DeForest and Jonathan Taylor and Kenny and, you know, all of the different personalities that were featured and Carson, you know, across across all of that. So I love it for the way that it elevated the spotlight uh, of this organization. And, you know, you got to see for as much as this as this franchise talks about character and all of those things, it was well demonstrated. And I think that was something that was really fun. There were incredible moments. The, the best thing for me were the candid moments, you know, in the meeting rooms, on the 
sidelines, those types of things sure. uh, that weren't just the sit down type of interviews. So I, I loved it. I thought it was it was really fun as someone who works in production for you know, our organization, there were certainly times when I was jealous, you know, of the amount of access and you're like, oh, shoot, I wish, you know, selfishly, I wish we had that. I wish that was ours, you know, but there was a lot of collaborating and working together and NFL Films did an outstanding job. And I think for us, you know, it it, from someone working in this building in a production role, it challenges us. How do we give better? How how does this allow us moving forward or inspire us moving forward to do a better job of providing different access, new access, more access, those type of things? So you can certainly believe there's been a lot of brainstorming sessions on the inspiration that we can take away from the spotlight that Hard Knocks provided. JJ, what do you think? I, I you know, couldn't agree more. And the thing I, I liked about Hard Knocks, and I go back to the interview we did with Emily Leitner before Hard Knocks debuted way back in October. And she said that the the difference in the season, like training camp is a lot about who's going to make the team, who's not going to make the team. This is, you know, we know who's on the team. This is more the drama of the week to week and then taking it inside the facility or, or players' homes or coaches' homes during the week. I thought that was so well done. You know, the, the, every episode had this kind of crescendo buildup to the game. And the, the stuff in the game was obviously very interesting, but I was, I was enraptured by the stuff, that, like the lead-up to it. You know, taking us inside the Wentz household before the birth of their second daughter yeah. after that Thursday night game. Like, you know, and then, you know, taking us into the, the Leonard household where Darius is kind of, he's getting treatment on his foot and you know, taking care of his daughters. Like it, it was so well done from a, a, the standpoint of giving fans a look at who these players actually are and that they're not just kind of faceless guys and helmets on the field on, you know, every Sunday, like, sure. you know, the, the, the most powerful moment of the season for me was Kenny Moore going to the Garvey family on Thanksgiving yeah. and that whole interaction where, you know, Kenny's talking about how important the Garveys are to him, and they're talking about how important Kenny is to them, and like that type of stuff. You know, we don't get to see that, and I, you know, getting getting the whole world to get to see who these players really are and and how they go about their lives, not just on the field, was so important. And by the way, my MVP of Hard Knocks, Taylor Stallworth. Taylor Stallworth. Stallworth. Yeah. Stallworth. John- Stallworth. Yeah. Stolly did not have enough screen time. That is my only complaint about Hard Knocks is that I wanted more Stolly in Hard Knocks. When he said when he said during the for the bye week he was going to go play big boy golf, all I wanted to do was go play big boy <laughs> golf with Taylor Stallworth. Yeah, I'm a little jealous. You didn't. I'm. A, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little jealous. You didn't say me, JJ. That's all right though. Uh, I mean, uh, I thought my, Lara, I thought my Lara had signals. a great yes. cameo. <laughs> it was great, wonderful cameo. Lara and Frank Reich, you were great. Obviously, it was uh, fun. But yeah, I, I, I thought being the uh, canary in the coal mine type of the first one to do it in season type of thing. I thought it went well, and uh, I know the Colts players sure enjoyed it, and it brought a lot of people something to do on Wednesday. Wednesday night. So anyway, overall, great, great experiment. I don't know that the Colts will be on it next year. Who knows? But I think futurely, and then I'll put this topic to bed, I think every team will do this 
during the season in the next couple of years. I think it'll be a stalwart, a, a staple that we can get behind the scenes of your favorite team, all 32 of them, not just like this year with the Colts in season. That's my personal opinion. Maybe I'm nuts. So that's for a different discussion. Time now. We don't want to keep the big man waiting any longer. Ring of Honor member Jeff Saturday here on the Colts official podcast presented by our friends at WinBet. And Jeff, we talk about disappointing losses the past couple of weeks and where it ranks as far as the Colts go and the loss to Jacksonville in the playoffs. Hey, you were part of a huge disappointing loss with a great team back in 2004, I want to say, when we saw Vanderjack's kick go way right against the Steelers. What is the mentality of a player uh, going through something that you know you should be winning the game, you know you should be advancing, but then thunderstruck and you find out that that's not the way that it's going? Jeff, how, how tough has it been for these Colts players the last week and a half? Oh, it's devastating, and and it's and it's not any any less devastating. You know, fifteen years later, as you bring up old stuff, Gorman. So I really appreciate the <laughs> shot fired right there. You know, that's better than starting an interview off just really trying to break a man down. So I uh, appreciate that. I'll try to help get the rest of the group and, and dig out of the hole. You know what I mean? But no, it, it, in all honesty, it's very difficult. It's 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 very difficult. And 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 the worst part is is that everybody understands they have their part of blame to, to, to you know, to shoulder. And, you know, this was this was one of those games where it was an epic failure, man. Like, you look at yourself as a football team and go, how in the world did we, you know, give one up to get into the playoffs to a team that's going to have the first pick in the draft? And you just kick yourself for missed opportunities. Um, but the reality is, after a week, you got to let it go. I mean, it's time to build in for the 2022 team. And I think that's the, the best way – to get rid of something like that is to try to move on and begin to get yourself ready for the following season. And, and then, you know, there's no other way. I mean, I wish it were easier. I wish there was a better answer and a, you know, a sexier answer. But the bottom line is, is it just takes work. And the faster you get back to work and trying to improve yourself, the better off you'll be of letting that one fall, fall away from you. When we're talking to Jeff Saturday, we're going to talk about offensive line play very quickly. I know you've seen the tape of the film going back to Jacksonville, but giving up six sacks with that offensive line to that front of Jacksonville. What happens on a day like that when you've got rare talent up front like the Colts do, but it just kind of collapses in front of you? Oh, it was unacceptable. I mean, listen, there's a ton of errors that that they made. They They put themselves in bad position. Uh, they didn't see it, you know, mentally they didn't see it great. Like, what, you know, there were things that you, when you turn the tape on an offensive lineman, you see alignment, you see, you know, where guys are starting, where guys are creeping down from the back end of the, of the, uh, of the defense, and you understand, oh, this guy's going to have to cross, cross face me here. They did a poor job of, of sharing the burden, passing off games. So, um, and look, man, like, you know, you have those days. The problem is, is that, that almost all of them had a bad day. And, and, and you know, usually it's a one guy struggling – We'll help pick him up, but when everybody's taking turns of of, uh, of giving up pressure, or giving up problems, and having issues and having mental errors, man, it's you know it, it, it's like a dam, and it's breached a whole bunch of different places. You know, it's, it's tough to repair it mid game, and so uh, I know those guys have a, it take a lot of pride in playing better than that. Uh, and, and then you got to give Jacksonville some credit, man. They had a good plan. They came in and played lights out and. Uh, and really just played more physical than the, than the Colts did. And so, again, one of those days where as an offensive line, you go, man, I really let one get away. We're supposed to be what everybody hangs their hat on, the most dominant part of this football team. We didn't show up and get our part done. 
Jeff, a phrase that Chris Ballard has used in the past is healthy friction. And when you talk about kind of moving on and moving forward and looking ahead to the next season and how much motivation you're going to draw from the way this season ended with back-to-back losses to knock you out of the playoffs, what does that healthy tension need to look like within the leadership of this locker room to avoid this happening again and for this team to not again be in that situation of getting off to a slow start, having to climb back after an 0-3 start, 1-4, put yourself back in that position, whereas we learned from Frank Reich, you you use so much gas early on just to put yourself Mm -hmm. back up, you know, at that midpoint or three-quarters of the way through the season that you don't, you know, exhaust yourself so far that you aren't able to close in the fashion that you want. Yeah, a lot of a lot of self reflection. You know, you got to look at yourself. What did I do well, and what did I do poorly this season? What areas uh, can I fix on myself? I'm a leader of this football team. What areas or needs of improvement do I check? And I, I can make it as small as this, Larry. As, as when I was a player, I would find one thing and I would find focus on that. If it was I wanted to improve my my back block on on when a guard away from me is going to pull, mm-hmm. my reach technique, my hand placement. I would get that detailed. I was going to work on that all off season to make sure next year that would not be an area that I needed to improve. And then you take it a next step to accountability. Like there has to be a there has to be an accountability each player on this team assumes. And and then when you get called to the carpet, you're ready to step up and do your part. And I think both of those areas are going to have to be improved. And that friction that Chris is talking about is is such a truthful and, and impactful statement. And I think, you know, it doesn't sound like that. You know, it didn't grab your ear. But the facts are is there needs to be that friction of, hey, man, if I don't get this done, somebody else will get it done. And, and, and when I was playing, when I was in Indy, we had, a, we had a very strong locker room. We were led by players. And we would look at each other and say, hey, man, if you don't improve – you know, they're going to have to replace you with somebody else. I love you. We're friends. We have all this. But there's a level of accountability. Each man has to go home and understand that we all depend on you. You know, we're, we're 1-11th of a, of a part of this. If, if, if one guy is not pulling his part, then, then for all of us, we got, we got to get better. And so um, I think those two things, that self-reflection and that accountability, are two things that those guys are going to work on in that locker room this offseason. And looking to the areas of improvement, one of the things that, you know, we always hear from from coach and from Chris, the quarterback often gets, you know, too much credit, but also too much criticism. What are the things that you saw from Carson Wentz that you really liked this season and that showed great promise within this offense? But also the thing, if he is your quarterback moving forward, that as somebody who is a leader within this offense, you feel like these are the steps, these are the strides that he would need to take from year one to year two to not have an end of the season in a latter part of the season like we witnessed? Yeah, start start with the, the things that you were impressed with. He, he definitely played better this year than he, he did the year prior, which is, which is always a good thing. I thought he did a good job for the most part of limiting turnovers. The problem was is in the games that it mattered, he had some, right? Tennessee, you make some errors like that. You saw what happened in, 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 uh, in Jacksonville. But the games that you need to kind of step up and make plays – and be a difference maker, um, and that's tough. But I do think overall he did a good job of protecting the football. Some areas of improvement that he'll have to have is timing of the offense. Like he, the, the ball needs to come out on time. Real early in the season, he definitely struggled. I thought he got better, and then he kind of regressed a little bit again. You know, holding the ball, not really understanding where the ball needs to be at that moment, and that timing is everything in offense. And rhythm is so important, whether in the run game or the passing game. You set up blocks so that the running back hits the play 
at a certain time and then can accelerate and make the most of it. No different for a quarterback and receivers. When that timing is there, the ball has to be delivered. It can't be, I'm going to hold on and try to make a bigger play. Take what's given, force teams to check you down and tackle you, and then allow JT and that offensive line to hopefully dominate. But that, that'll be an area that he'll have to improve to carry this team to the next step. Jeff, with regards to the Colts' run game, they were one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL this year. You know, them and the Browns, I think, were, were near the top. How do you evaluate where the run game can go in this offense? Because we, we saw, you know, we heard Chris Ballard and Frank Reich say, you know, we believe you have to pass it in the NFL to win. <clears throat> how, how, how big of a part of the run game, realistically, can the Colts have in their offense going forward, knowing they have strengths in Jonathan Taylor and the offensive line, but also knowing that they do need to be able to pass it to go win games? Well, I mean, I think that, I think there's two things. I think you can be. I mean, I think you could be a very balanced football team, or or a fifty percent or ish, fifty plus percent ish run team, and still be successful, right? Especially if you have a good defense that you're not scared to play special teams and punt the ball too. So, you know, I do understand that you do have to pass it though, but that you can be creative in your run game that will really couple with, you know, with that passing game, right? The screen game can be important. That's a pass, but it's a very, it's, it's a very low risk pass play, right? So there are things that you can do to protect your football team, even within the passing game. And then I think they're right. You have to take shots. Like you've got to get the defense to back up. And we, you know, you you had that. The one thing about Carson, another another positive, he wasn't afraid to challenge one on one deep down the field. We got a lot of pass interferences that were positive for our football team. And I think with Pittman and that relationship growing, and hopefully with Pascal, these guys getting healthy and coming back, I think that should be better as well. But but the run game and the offensive line, if that's where you're laying your hat, you got to be committed to it, and then allow the passing game to come off on the backside of that. I think everybody understands you're watching San Francisco right now into the playoffs, and they are a team that's committed to the run. You know, they—I they, think they won a playoff game uh, last year, a couple years ago, throwing it eight times. There are different ways to win in the NFL, uh, but you got to be committed to it and be creative in it. And I think that's that for the offense is going to be another thing to look at is creativity. And, and I'll be honest with you, there were some games where I thought Frank uh, and this offense had incredibly well-executed, well-designed game plans from a run game perspective and coupling that with their play action. I thought it was a thing of beauty. I think they'll continue to grow in that area under under Carson if he's the quarterback in his second year as well because you get more comfortable of, hey, where do I need to set up behind him? I'm behind the guard, the tackle. You know, can I really sell this fake and turn my back and feel comfortable that I'm going to be protected? I think all of those things, uh, you know, show up in year two. Again, if Carson's at the helm, I think they'll be better at that as well. Jeff, I want to zoom out a little bit. When you talk with your colleagues, whether it's on air or off air, about the Colts, from a national perspective, how did the way the season ended change the the national perception of the Colts, if it did at all? Because it, it seems like the national perception has been this is a well-run, well-built organization and team that has a lot of really smart people on it some really good players then how did the the way the season ended did that change the narrative at all and, and if it did how no it's interesting you know usually when we talk about it it'll be you know when you talk about the organization there's a ton of respect for both chris ballard and frank Wright. like people understand uh from a head coaching perspective frank is a very steady force he you know guys like to play for him he, he designs plans based around his guys 
they've got Ballard has done a great job putting together a roster. But there are definitely holes, and you know those got exposed through injury early on, right? Of of, of and you know you tried to you know with Eric Fisher coming back from that um, Achilles, you know it took him time to kind of get back find his with that Achilles, but you know being able to battle through. But it becomes really more personnel conversations, and it's hey they need to add a receiver here, they need to get a pass rusher there, or they need to develop you know developing that pass rushing element, different areas of the game. Uh, you know, a tight end and, and who, who can stretch the field and do some other things that way. So it becomes more of those conversations because, again, everybody was shocked at the last two games. I mean, everybody everybody looked at the Colts very similar. They looked at the 49ers. It's got a team who's going to make the playoffs and everybody's going to be scared to play. Obviously, that didn't work out for us, which is disappointing, but there's still a great foundation there and a great staff that they know they can make the most of. And without those injuries early, this team might have been a you know 12 12, 12 win type team uh, as opposed to where we ended up. And so those are the conversations that we've had. A lot of positive, a lot of hey man, that was an awful way to end. But man, they got a lot to build with as well. Follow him on Twitter at Saturday Jeff. And obviously, all you have to do is turn on your televisions throughout the week, and you'll see Jeff Saturday breaking down the NFL on ESPN. A pleasure to have you here today. We're going to get into one of your old teams, the Green Bay Packers facing the San Francisco 49ers coming up. But I want to stick here here in Colts land for a minute. Jeff, is it possible with a right-handed quarterback, say it is Carson Wentz, to have a mix-and-match, play-in type of a left tackle like Eric Fisher? We're not saying, don't know what's happening with Fisher next year, but the importance of finding a left tackle, not every two years, but somebody that lays a foundation like Tara Glenn. How important is that? Because... Whatever tackle does come in, Jeff, it's not his offensive line room. That belongs to Quentin Nelson. No, absolutely. But listen, you, that, that very rarely is the left tackle, you know, the vocal leader. You know, most of those guys, you know, they're extremely athletic, but you, you get your leadership normally from the interior portion of the line. They're guys who are a little bit smaller in stature. Like the center. Like the center. Uh, like the know. center. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I hear you know, you. A little more vocal, a <laughs> little feistier, you know, that, that type of thing. But but listen, whether it be Fisher or someone else, understanding that the, the, the ultimate goal for this offensive line is going to have to be giving Carson Wentz that extra second. But, you know, you, everybody understands what happened to him in Philadelphia and the abuse that he kind of took behind that line at times and the, and the kind of the beatings that he took that that it takes some time to be comfortable back in the pocket you, you know feeling rest assured hey i'm going to be i can take that extra second that extra you know that extra pump fake to really let this thing develop i think when you find a left tackle and and you find that rhythm between he and q nelson it will be one of those things where you go oh man this this is what you're looking for you can still be dominant in the run game but ultimately you got to get that that quarterback feeling very comfortable uh, dropping back and sitting behind Ryan Kelly and, and feeling comfortable in that interior three. So, uh, you know, whether it's Fisher coming back and having another year off of that or somebody else they find, but but when you think about the best of the, the team's pull now, you, you think about Tampa Bay, their offensive line, probably the best in the league right now. You think about Green Bay with David Bakhtiari coming back. Look at the comfort there. You look at Tennessee Titans, very good offensive line, play physical. They want to play a tough and You look at the teams that are around, there are good offensive lines that are that know who they are. That they understand the identity of their football team, whether it's the 49ers, the Titans, the Bucks. You know, they 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 win different ways, 
but their identity is secure and they understand what they have to accomplish. That's the next step for that Colts O-line. The doubling down, Jeff, Saturday, that the centerman is usually the smartest and most vocal and most athletic on the field. That's what I'm hearing. And most handsome. And most handsome. Hey, absolutely, man. We got there's a lot of stuff happening, obviously, with the offseason and Chris Ballard and Frank Wright and Jim Mersey doing their thing. We're gonna touch back with you on that, but you do surf around the league so well on ESPN, so we're gonna have our moment to look around at this playoff schedule. I want to start with your old team, a team that for some reason nobody wants to play, the San Francisco 49ers, coming into Lambeau Field on Saturday night. Jeff, what do you think about this upcoming game? Oh, I love it. I, but but listen, I mean, I think there's times when you have recency bias, right? Like, we forget that Tennessee and Green Bay just had a week off for a reason. Uh, Green Bay is a very good football team, and, and they have uh, potential of Zadarius Smith coming back, Jair Alexander coming back, Bakhtiari had, a, had you know, played a half against Detroit, so he'll be back. Those are huge additions and pickups. And, and when you're thinking about the 49ers with Fred Warner getting banged up, uh, and Bosa, you know, in the concussion protocol right now, those are two major, major pieces. And, and we all understand on this call, you know, 15 of the last 16 to go to the Super Bowl had that bye. And, and, and you know, the NFL is a game of attrition. That game with, the, with, with teams getting banged up and, and the 49ers having those injuries, I think, it's a t- I think it's a tougher way to go. And Green Bay, the, the margin for error for that 49ers team is so slim. Jimmy G's going to have to play a perfect game. We saw him try to give the game away a couple times against Dallas. But if he can play it, they're good enough to beat him. But, man, the margin of error is very, very small because, because I can guarantee you Aaron Rodgers will not beat himself. All right, Jeff, I want to go within the AFC really quickly because one of the viral images from last year's playoffs was Stephon Diggs staying on the field to watch the Chiefs celebrate, and he is standing all by himself. Is there any greater motivation in professional sports than getting that close to a conference championship and waiting and standing and watching a rival team celebrate? How much drive are the Buffalo Bills taking away from that? In particular, they're they're one of the their greatest weapon offensively, aside from Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Listen, pre breakdown. Every final sprint of the summer, everything I can guarantee you was beat the Chiefs, right? Like, like, like this Buffalo Bills team understood the only way we're getting to the Super Bowl is to unseat this team. They came in, they beat them. I think it was week five or something like that. But, but make no mistake, this is about playoffs. They understand this in a regular season game, you, you, you know, you have to beat this football team. And you were designed to do it. Like, they went back, McDermott and, this, and, and the entire organization, Bean went back, and they decided, how, what can we do? And how can we match up the best with the Chiefs? This is, this is their day. And so as you look at the Bills, they, they just beat up on the Patriots and physically dominated them. That was one of their nemesis. This is the next. And these, these are the games you have to win to ultimately get to that dance. And so uh, no more motivation. But guarantee when that strength coach is screaming at you, Hey, men, remember what it felt like to walk off that field against the Chiefs and watch them celebrate. We don't want to have that feeling again. 
That's the motivation that's been driving them an entire season, and it culminates this weekend. Man, I am fired up for this one. One quick follow-up in terms of that matchup. Peter Schrager said on NFL Network, Good Morning Football, that Josh Allen played the greatest playoff game he's ever seen from a quarterback in regards to the game you just mentioned, that Patriots-Bills game. A little bit strong, we think, from Schrager, because I think we all know a quarterback who played some pretty epic uh, playoff games from within this franchise himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, again, we got some recency bias, right? Like we, you know, all of a sudden we're crowning folks for a, for a wild card weekend. We can't, we can't do that. But he did, uh, he did play a fantastic football game. And I'll tell you, my favorite part is is Brian Dayball, their their offensive mm-hmm. coordinator, did a fantastic job in the execution of their game plan. First, third, and three, they end up running a QB sweep with Josh Allen, right? They come right off the next play. Looks like he's going to go out of bounds. He's kind of throwing it away, and Knox makes an incredible play. Well, fast forward after the interception, third and four, and they see they're going to give him a light box. They check to a a quarterback draw. He goes and extends and sustains the drive. Very next play, touchdown again. So Dable understands that the way that this, this Bills team moves forward is through Josh Allen. Then he sprinkled in those power runs, you know, leading fullback, guard pulling and wrapping, Singletary getting the ball and playing some physical football, running behind the pads. But it's the balance of the protection they provided, and make no mistake, the Bills offensive line the last uh, four or five weeks is the hottest group in the NFL. I mean, they are giving Josh Allen all day and opening lanes. That has been an enormous improvement for them and the physicality they can play with, they're going to have to depend on that to upset the Chiefs. He's going to have to have another performance like he just did to, to, to win this weekend. Hey, Jeff, since the, since the playoffs expanded, Jeff, um, there have only been four games involving a number seven seed, but three of them have been pretty much uncompetitive uh, after halftime. The only one that was was Colts-Bills last year. How do you see the, the, the playoff expansion affecting maybe a number two seed, like the, the Buccaneers this year, the Chiefs, yeah. where you have to play that game, but I mean, really, the, neither of those games between the, that the Bucks and the Chiefs won this year were really competitive at all. No, it's a great question, and, and here's the truth of it. I, I said it before earlier. The NFL is a game of attrition, and in, a, in the in the in the playoffs, when you have to play, the, like the Bucks were in no danger of losing to the Eagles. Like, I, like no one thought, oh man, this is going to be a close game. But guess what? Tristan Wirfs might not play. Ryan Jensen, their, their their center, might not be able, or he'll play, but he's going to be limited now because of his injury. Those are two huge losses against a Rams defensive front that can flat out rush the passer. So had they been home an extra week, they would not have faced that thing again. Just you know, because they beat the brakes off of the Eagles, but all of a sudden those injuries mount up. No different for the 49ers, right? Is is it's a game of attrition. The advantage for the for the Packers is they were sitting home relaxing. Everybody's getting healthier. The other way for the for the Chiefs, guys get banged up. It's it's it is a much more difficult route just because of that bye week and the rest to get the bumps and bruises on an extra game already added. So great question and one that I think these games it's going to be tough to be competitive, man. Like the number two team. In the, in the conference should be substantially better than the seven. Like, like, I mean, you know what I mean? And so it's, right. you know, it could it happen? Absolutely. But I think it does a little more damage than it actually does help. Matthew Stafford has one playoff victory as a quarterback, Tom. Tom Brady has like 69 of them. What do you like against the Rams <laughs> traveling, traveling on the road to Tampa Bay? What do you, what do you think of that one, Jeff? 
I think I think it's a it's a, a game that if the if the if the Bucks can protect Brady, they'll be fine. That Wurfs injury to me is a very scary one. Um, listen, Matt Stafford threw 17 passes last night. This was not a this was not a uh, you know a game that you had to depend on the on the quarterback to carry you. They ran the heck out of it. They played great defense. Um, th- those are the things that won that football game last night. However, you sign Matt Stafford for this type of game. Hey, listen, if if we got to go through it, because I think he threw it 38 times when they beat the Bucks earlier in the season. It may be that type of day. Todd Bowles does a mm-hmm. great job of shutting the run game down. If Akers and, and Sonny Michelle can't get it going, you can rest assured it's going to be in the hands of Stafford. Can he protect the football and do what he did early in the season against the Bucks? Because he had a he had probably his best day against high quality that he's had all season. So it, this is why you sign the big dogs. You, we talked about it a minute ago. They get too much credit and too much blame. Well, this is this is a credit or blame game for Stafford for them to get to, to upset the Bucks. He'll be in the Hall of Fame soon. His name is Jeff Saturday, at Saturday Jeff. You can follow him on Twitter. And before we let you go, I appreciate you being courteous with your time. The Manning Cast on ESPN. I know you've seen it. I know you've been on it at the Manning Cast. Is it true to life? Is that what we get if we were sitting in the, in the living room with Peyton Manning watching a football game? Oh, ain't no doubt. The loud, the loud eating and drinking, uh, the, you know, all of that is fact, right? Like saying, you know, saying things, being wrong 99% of the time, absolutely. They, they all, all of that is factual. What you're seeing is truth and truth personified. I'm so glad people get to see, you know, his choices. You know, he's, he's, he's no Tony Romo in the prediction area, right? Like, like right, everything right, he predicts right. is like the other. Was it, was it last night or the other night and he was talking about the game and, and he was he's talking about a punt? And Eli was like, bro, you, there's not an 11-second hang time. You know, the punt was going to take off like 11 seconds. I love that Eli attacked him. I was giggling to myself. Nothing better than watching Manning get out there and Eli put it on him, bro. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a joy to watch. One of my favorite yeah. things is that what we all know about being in TV, like you got to wear the IFB and hear all the things. Jeff, you know this from your days in the studio and how frustrated Peyton gets when things aren't going perfectly. Like he couldn't hear and, you know, he probably, probably writing he a cussed. check to the FCC. He cussed. Yeah, he he cussed. It's, it's a good thing he's rich because he ain't worried about that <laughs> fine. I think the rest of us will be a lot more concerned about that fine than he is. But he, listen, that is a hundred percent fact. And, and for any people who don't, when people, when your producer or director is talking in your ear, and then and then Manning is such a perfectionist, like you can tell, he's looking at all the different monitors. He's probably got forty of them, right? Like he's got two sideline <laughs> monitors, he's got a field monitor, he's all twenty-two. He's got all kinds of stuff going on, and he's looking around. He can't find his way. He does not want to be out of his comfort zone. Every one of us know that on the call. When he gets a little bit twisted, you heard that language, now he's paying a fine. Nothing better for charity to accept that fine. (laughs) I love it. I love it. At Saturday, Jeff, follow him on Twitter. Big man, we appreciate the time, appreciate the help. There are going to be some moves made in the offseason. After all, this is the NFL. We'd love to catch up with you in a month or two to kind of find out what's going on in Colts land. How's that sound? Absolutely. Always game. You guys have a great one, man. Great talking with you. Great talking to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. The great one. Jeff Saturday, Ring of Honor. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I said it. I claimed it. You can tweet at me if you want. I'm at Hey Gorman, at Lara Overton, at JJ Stankovitz. This has been the Colts' official podcast presented by our friends at WinBet. A big thank you to Jeff Saturday for taking the time. And to you two, Lara Overton and JJ Stankovitz, with all the help of Mike Stevens and Casey Vallier. Guys, great job today. Appreciate the offseason content. We're going to give you more and more each week. Don't forget, you can go to Colts. 
Colts.com for the latest information that you need. And also, don't forget to download the Colts app. We are presented by our friends at WinBet. Guys, I had fun. Appreciate it. Let's enjoy some football. Our time will come. What do you say, JJ? What do you say, Lara? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Enjoying this, learning from it, basking in it, fueling up already for 2022. All right. Ready Sounds to go. great. Yeah, absolutely. JJ, glad to have you aboard. A big thanks again to Jeff Saturday. Folks, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>